I am Mike Gorman, the voice of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to The Shootaround. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Shootaround on Wednesday, May 16th. I'm Nick Harvell, alongside me as always, Mr. Chan. What's going on, guys? The conference finals are now underway, so we're going to get you guys all caught up with what happened in the second round, as well as what we've seen from the Celtics so far in these Eastern Conference Finals. And we'll wrap up the show by talking draft lottery and our predictions for the top five picks of the draft. All that and more in this episode, so without further ado, let's get started. So, I mean, I guess we got to start with the Celtics for the second round recap, don't you think? I think so. So, getting it done in five games, just five games against Philly, I mean... Look, I, I did predict that the Celtics would take down Philly, but I, I didn't think it would be that easy. I mean, five games does seem easy, but, I mean, it, it, the games were, for the majority, pretty close. Um, what do you think was the key for the C's success, the biggest key for success in this series? Um, I think it was Brad Stevens. Uh, I think his game plan um, was perfect. I think that, you know, the plan going in was, one, to run Philly off the three-point line mm-hmm. and to make Ben Simmons, you know, to make Sam- Ben Simmons score to beat you and score not in the paint, not in transition, but shooting jumpers, which he can't do. Right. And um, I felt like Brad made made uh, solid, good adjustments throughout the series. Um, he had that game where he put Monroe in that helped us get on a run. Yep. Um, he made, you know, in that overtime win in Philly, uh, there was a brilliant out-of-bounds play at the end of regulation. Uh, which set up for the counteraction in the overtime right. out-of-bounds play. Yep, the, the one to Jalen regulation, yeah. which led to the horse. Yep. And I think, too, is that, you know, the, the other part of the game plan is to bait Embiid into shooting outside jumpers. Yeah, for sure. he took the bait, and I'll take that any given day. I just think that, you know, uh, players-wise, I felt like, uh, Marcus Smart coming back changed the course of the series, and he's been huge for us ever since. Yeah, well, like you said, I completely agree that Brad Stevens should be receiving the most praise for the Celtics' complete domination over the Sixers in the second round. But um, something else that I think was equally as big of a factor is the poor coaching on Philly's end. I mean, you can feel free to chip in and cut me off or whatever you want, but it looked to me like through those first three games... Brett Brown, St- Stephen A. said this, so like I, I'm gonna give credit to Stephen A. for saying this, but um, he did say that Brett Brown, he's never seen a coach lose three games in a row for a team. Now, granted, Brad Stevens also won those three games. However, Philly's got a 22 point lead in Game Two mm-hmm. of the second round. I mean, how do you blow that lead basically all in the second quarter? But see, I think. I think, you know, you could hindsight's twenty twenty. I think that part of Brett Brown's philosophy in that run was that he wanted his guys to fight through it. He wanted his guys to settle through and learn how to play through adversity. Now, I don't think that the playoffs with a young team is the time to Right, do that. that's exactly I was about I to think, cut you off and say that. I don't think it's time the playoffs are time for tr- getting young guys experience like that. Right. And I also think too that Brett Brown um, took a little too long to get T.J. McConnell involved in the series. Um, I think McConnell played out of his mind. Um, you know, he gave a lot of hustle, made a lot of t- hustle plays, and he made a huge difference when he 
did get major burn in the series. I agree. He's a grinder. Yeah. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, obviously the coach shoulders some of the blame. But at the same time, you know, you think about it, um, think about the closeout game, game five. Yeah. Right? Philly was up two down the stretch. Right. And J.J. had a wide-open look. That would have been game. And he clanked it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, you could – yeah, you could criticize some of Brett Brown's decisions, but I also think that, you know, players got to make the plays at the right time. I think that, you know, it's on Ben Simmons to learn how to shoot a jumper. Yeah, I think that's got to be his number one goal this offseason for sure. Maybe even try switching hands, shooting with that right hand, because he does everything else so well with that right hand. Right. He just chooses to shoot with the with the um, left hand. Uh, something else I noticed with Brett Brown was that – um. I don't know if you caught this from watching the games at home, but um, I noticed that he calls timeouts so like quickly. He doesn't. Pers- That's something I love about Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens saves his timeouts. Mm-hmm. He loves going in the second half with four timeouts left. Mm-hmm. He never wants to use four timeouts in the first half. Right. Brett Brown calls so many timeouts so quickly. Yep. It's like by the time the fourth quarter starts, they have one timeout left, and that is not what you like. You don't want your team to be put in a situation where they only have t- one timeout left. Well, here's the thing: is that I don't think people. I think, you know, with Stevenson's philosophy, it's hey, unless it's getting really out of hand, whatever it is, halftime is where you make the major adjustments, and then whatever wrinkles, whatever subs you need, that's what you save the timeouts in the second half for, is because, you know, you save the adjustments that you really really want for halftime. Right. Unless you absolutely have to pull out every single stop and the game's getting out of hand. But I think that mathematically speaking, when you have, you know, 24 minutes left of game time, that's plenty of time for a team to get hot, to to be able to battle back. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, in that sense, it takes away from the opponent's ability to be able to have more time to adjust to your wrinkles. Yeah, definitely. And something else I love about Brad is if he sees something like, within the first two minutes of the game that he does not like and wants to address, he calls timeout right then and then just lets his guys play. Right. He addresses the issue and then just lets the players deal with it. Right. Brett Brown, I feel like, almost tries to do too much. He tries to just... Con- like only t- Coaching, in a sense, can only do so much if you're not letting those guys continue to run out there. Well, it's, it's just a difference in philosophy, and you just got to know what makes your guys tick. You yep. know, you can make the argument that with Philly... You know, because of their youth, maybe common now early would be good. But at the same time, you know, even if he called those timeouts and they still lost, what would it have been? Maybe he should let it, let it play through, right? Right. Because maybe calling those timeouts stifled their confidence. So at the end of the day, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And, you know, I know that, you know, Brett Brown, <laughs> he's not doing it just to let the Celtics back in. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, in the media um, loves to find somebody to blame. But at the end of the day, it's a player's game. Right. And the players execute. You know, Embiid should have made that layup. Should have been a dunk. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I don't care if you feel like you got fouled. Yeah, and something else that I want to add on is, um, you know, Let's credit the Sixers here. They really overachieved this season. No one expected them to have home court in these playoffs. Like, we before the season started, we thought maybe they could sneak in as a 7 or 8 seed. I mean, let's give Philly credit where credit's due. They had a really good run this year. And well, I, I do believe Brett Brown is a, is a decent coach in this league. I don't think that 
I'm not trying to take away anything from him. I'm just trying to say. Well, they did. They did grow up a lot. I just think that the playoffs and the regular season are such different animals that you know before when when Brad had the less talented Celtics teams, he needed to pull up all the stops to get to the playoffs. And when he got to the playoffs, you have less wrinkles to throw in. Mm-hmm. I feel like with the Sixers, that's a learning experience for them too. Because when they went on that hot streak to end, you know, everyone's like, oh, they're for real, they're for real. But during that hot streak, and even look at their play style, they don't usually have full control of the game, even when up 22, because they take such undisciplined, quick contestants. Oh, like the Marco Bellinelli's, the JJ Reddick's, those guys. Yeah, and and it's like, dude, you're you're up 22 points. Slow the game down. I, uh, You don't want to slow to a, to a point where you're just trying to hold the ball. No, I, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying, like, you should not be jacking up contested threes with 16 seconds on the shot clock like right. Marco Bellinelli or does. Or just a quick heat check. You know, like, one or two heat checks are what they are, but at the same time, I felt like during the regular season, Philly never got into uh, – they never got enough practice um, in – talking about practice? In, in grinding <laughs> out possessions, even in games. I don't think they put enough of an emphasis into being able to extend possessions and really make the defense play D. Because um, I know, statistically speaking, even in the NBA, um, in a possession where there are six or more passes, your points per possession skyrockets. And when there's less than three passes, it goes way down. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You want to try and take your time and get the best look possible. Um, I do believe it's going to be Philly-Boston for the long run in the East, especially if LeBron and does, in fact, sign out West. I, I, I think this is going to be a great rivalry. It's going to be something like the 80s, and I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, I think, yeah, but, I mean, I have I, – I just think that – with the way our roster is going right now, barring any major injuries, we're going to dominate everyone. I really hope that's right, but I'm just saying Philly's going to be our basically our only somewhat competition <laughs> in the East next year. It's going to be very weak, especially if LeBron. All right, we'll we'll talk. Stop talking about the hypo- hypothetical stuff. Anyways, let's move on to um, another series that occurred in the second round. And uh, like you were talking about earlier with good regular season teams, talk about the kings of the regular season, but the chokers of the playoffs, the Toronto Raptors, getting swept by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the second round. Now, I'm not going to try to brag or anything, but uh, next time we have Adam Fabron on the show, he can back me up on this, that I did, in fact, call that the Raptors would get swept in the series right after game one. that, That overtime loss just told me everything you need to know. I think it took the air out, and I also think looking at the roster of the Raptors, uh, I just don't think they have the versatility to do on defense what the Celtics are doing to the Cavaliers right now. And I also think that, you know, give them credit. I mean, think about when Masai Ujiri, Ujiri took over and when Dwayne Casey came in as a coach. Raptors were bad. They've grown. I mean, Masai Ujiri is a very good GM. And, and, and for even player development. Look at how the Rosens developed. Look at how Lowry's developed. Now, I don't think they're still at a point where it gets them over the hump. I still think that the Rosen can resort too much to iso ball at times. Uh, and but, Lowry too. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, unfortunately, the blame had to fall somewhere. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne it always Casey does. had to fall on the sword. But um, I just don't think that roster was truly constructed to, to catch up with the modern game, which... You know, if you look around the league, right, the best teams, the most dominant teams, 
And the reason why I say that I think the Celtics will dominate is because they have a unique roster, a collection of lengthy, springy athletes with skill. Who can guard who can, from the two, from the four. And who can guard multiple positions and hit a three-pointer and be able to get to the rim. Those are the gems of the modern NBA. And <laughs> when you have a roster like that, the modern NBA is you switch all to negate any advantage, you negate any post-up advantage, you negate any perimeter advantage, and you contest every single shot. Offensively, you have to have versatile guys who can play inside out to create the spacing for your guys to get into the lane. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think the Raptors quite had that. Yeah, the Raptors have those very kind of old-school, not three-point shooting big men. You know, Valanchunas has tried adding a three-point shot to his game this year, but it's not its not a consistent shot. I know Pirtle can't, doesn't have a, a stroke, and neither does uh, Nogira. So, yeah, I, t- I totally agree with what you're saying, that the Raptors are just not versatile enough. Like, they really are guys who their ones guard their ones, right. the twos guard the twos, so on and so forth. They, they can't mix and match. Right, and, and when you think about it, you know, like, think about last night, you know, take, for example, the... Kevin Love, Kyle Korver, off-ball action. They mm-hmm. got a bunch of open looks. They made a big run using that action um, when, you know, the initial action is Kevin Love setting some kind of screen action and it's a read and react. And remember how, you know, Rosier gave up a backdoor because he overshot and, like, tried to cheat under, uh, cheat up on the screen and Korver got a wide-open layup because he just backdoored. Right. And then when they did switch, you know, Rosier isn't quite strong enough to guard Love and Baines is stranded on a perimeter where he's not as effective. And so I feel like, you know, the Celtics, to remedy that, then Brad called timeout after they got three or four open looks, and immediately it was Smart and Horford, and Smart was on Corver when Horford was on Love, but even if they switch, you take away, you take away the advantage. Yep. Now, if you think about if, you know, it was Lowry... And Valajunas switched, <laughs> right? Then you'd be at a major, major disadvantage because I feel like with Toronto, their bigs are too like your traditional hulking bigs. Yep, right, exactly. That's they cannot. They're 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 not. Mobile. They're the down low, close to the basket bigs. Right. Exactly. They're not mobile enough. To and that's why I love Al Horford, and that's why I'm the biggest Al Horford fan because. I don't know if you caught this uh, sequence last night when he was guarding George Hill in the perimeter in the first quarter, and he ran him off the three-point line and then blocked his reverse layup. I mean, that was just... Right. And his mobility, you know, it, it helps a ton. And so I think, you know, that that's the way the league is trending right now. And whoever can find these types of players and fill their roster with those types of guys... <coughs> Danny. You know, or whoever is smart enough to do so yes. is going to have a huge advantage. Yeah, so uh, I guess the question i got to ask now to follow up on that is do you think Toronto should stick with their core of guys moving forward, or do you think it's time for them to blow up and try to adjust to the modern NBA? I think they need to blow it up because I, I don't I see, agree with that. I mean, it's going to be a process, but the, the trouble for them is, listen, Who's going to really take the Rosen on that contract that he has? You think about every single NBA team that's up and coming that would be contending, that would want to buy. Or Lowry. Lowry's making like $33 million or right. something, right? Isn't it $300 million contract, or something? But at the same time, he's not an efficient, like truly efficient point guard. Oh, I 
I don't think I'm not a huge Kyle Lowry guy at all. Yeah, so I think that at the end of the day, they need to blow it up, but I think they'll have trouble finding buyers. I agree with that. That their contract situation is very shaky right now. Um, might just have to play the waiting game. Yeah, I that mean, would that it, would suck for the Raptors fans. It would. Stink I mean, they're so they're so close to getting right over that hump, but they're really far too. It's their just, roster peaked. The roster peaked about a year, year and a half ago. With Bismack Biombo. Yeah. I think not resigning. That's an entirely different conversation, but I think Bismack Biombo is right. a great fit for that team. I also think Ibaka peaked. Yep, I he do peaked. too. And, uh, He's trying to turn him, himself into a three-point specialist now, and I don't like that. I like the Serge Ibaka that we saw in OKC yes, during their championship run years. His natural fit is a modern NBA five. Occasional three-pointer, but he should have embraced his mobility. In his ability, yeah, in his uh, great timing at, near the basket for right. rim protection. I think, you know, Clint Capella fits that mold, but the problem is, I've got to, you've got to wonder if Ibaka's injuries caught up with him and he lost some mobility because of that. Yeah, I mean, it sure looks like it. All right, that's been enough Raptors talk. <laughs> Let's just move on quickly for the rest of the second round matchups. We'll go out west now. We'll talk about the Pelicans and Golden State very briefly, but there's not much to talk about. Golden State's just the dynasty that is Golden State. And Anthony Davis just can't beat a one-on-four all-star team. No, I mean, you have to be able to guard him. And the problem with guarding Golden State is that when they truly force you to switch and find their mismatches, you're you're done for. It's hard to guard. But there is one roster in the league that can guard that. Uh Uh-oh. Who am I... Who might this roster be? That'd be the Boston Celtics. <laughs> Rozier. Yep. Jalen. Marcus. Tatum. Both Marcuses. <laughs> you know Morris. You you know start him off with Horford, right? And then you bring in Marcus Smart off the bench. Shemi. Shemi. He, I thought, you know, I think he's his, been yeah for all his offensive struggles. My goodness, he had one possession where he guarded LeBron, and LeBron took a, I think, like he drove and then took a spin fadeaway, and Ojale was step step by step with him and contested it. As, I've been as loving, I, like, I'm going to be honest, in the regular season, I was very frustrated with Shemi's development. I thought, like, in the preseason, he looked like a really good high-volume shooter. There was a couple times where he was, like, like shooting it off the dribble, like creating his own three-point shots, and we didn't see any of that in the regular season. I was very disappointed in that. But my God, he has earned my trust back in these playoffs. He's been, he's been guarding these teams' best players, right? And he's been doing a very good job. And here's the fun part, you know. Who would have thought our second-round draft pick would be defending LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals? Like, I mean, and doing a great job at it. Uh, last year in the draft, I remember. You know, at po- post-draft, uh, I think the first podcast it is before the season, we had talked about how the Celtics draft these three and D guys who yep. are strong enough, quick enough, and, you know, these gems can develop uh, an outside shot. And remember, I-, I think we had talked about it. I thought that Shemi was a real steal. I still think he is. I, I, I really do think so. Um, I think that he gives up, he, he gives us a very potent option. Um coming up as a young player mm-hmm. and you know one kid that I think you know I'm excited to see if he develops under Horford's mentorship is Yabu Sele because I think he's got the physical tools if he works hard at it if he, if he hones his craft he can be a very versatile forward yeah I agree with that too but um, 
yeah, his development also this year was just. I mean, we didn't know what to expect with Yabaselli because we, he was playing in China all last year. We didn't really see much of him, but um, yeah, I agree with you that he's got the potential to grow and become a very solid player in this league. Yeah. And uh, something scary would be Shemi with a three pointer. Can you imagine? Yeah, and then you, like, you can legitimately roll up a lineup where you can switch everything and stretch everything on offense. God, we're set. That's a coach's dream. Yep. All right, so anyways, uh, we're getting sidetracked again, but um, the last second-round matchup that we saw in these 2018 playoffs were the Rockets versus the young, exciting Utah Jazz team. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Utah did not have Rubio in this series, but... I think the main reason why they struggled so much against Houston was their lack of offensive firepower. Donovan Mitchell, very low-key, shot the ball pretty poorly this, the, throughout the entire playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, he was able to squeeze by OKC because that OK3 system was just a mess from the beginning of the season. But um, I think at the end of the day, uh, Houston is a team that loves to score the ball, but you do... You can, defense can only do so much against Houston. Like they're still going to find ways to score. You have to be able to match their offense while also trying to contain them defensively. And uh, Utah just didn't show enough firepower. Yeah, um, showing enough firepower, and also I think you're seeing with you know the Celtics series, like both both ends of the court matter, and they feed off each other. You know, you got to have a group that can defend, but at the same time, you got to have a group where Nobody can be hidden. You can't just hide somebody on defense against your team on offense. That's that's the ideal um, firepower. You look at Houston, you look at Golden State, you look at Boston. How are you going to hide? Who are you going to hide your, your worst defenders on? They will always find a weak link to attack. Yep, that's what makes these teams the best of the best. Um, all right, I don't think anything else needs to be said about that. Utah and Houston's the whole Western Conference was just the second round was not as thrilling as I would have liked it to be. No, I mean, it, it, I mean we kind of expected this too because <laughs> Houston and Golden State were the clear uh, heavyweights of the Western Conference. But um, I mean, I just I wish there was a bigger fight. Yeah, there. I mean, um, and you know, I just think that going in, people wanted there to be somebody else in the Western Conference, but I just don't think anyone has the firepower right now to to challenge prime Golden State. I don't either. I completely agree with that. Now, let's get talking with the now. (laughs) The conference finals. We'll start out east with the Celtics. We've kind of been going back and forth between, you know, some things said in, or some things mentioned, rather, uh, about certain players and certain plays in the series. But, like, now let's just dive straight into it. Um, The Cs right now are up 2-0 against LeBron James. And I cannot believe I'm saying these words right now. Now, like, Cleveland has been a mess this entire season, and Boston has been dealing with injuries, obviously, throughout all season. I just did not think for a second we'd be up 2-0 with lacking our two best players on the best player in the world. It, it, I've been waiting seven years <laughs> for this to happen. But LeBron that- has been kicking Boston's butt for seven years, and I... This is, see, this is great. Basketball is a team game. At the end of the day, it's a team game. And individual great players can carry teams, but people underestimate how well-coached 
how disciplined, how intelligent this team is. When our team stops doing dumb stuff, like, you know, long ISO contested twos or heat checks, when they actually put their minds to attack the weak links, our offense flows. Defensively speaking, I mean, you know, Coach Stevens has the, the, the one game plan that you want to employ, and this year has the personnel to do it. He no longer has to hide an Isaiah Thomas on defense, right? He, he no longer has to be like, oh, how am I going to get uh, enough points? Like, who's going to show up tonight with shooting, Bradley right. or Jay Crowder? Right. Right? He has guys who are legitimate threats to not only take it to the rack, but shoot it from the outside. You know, one thing that drove me mad about Jay Crowder last year was he would settle for these fall-away long twos. The worst shots in basketball. <laughs> right. And this year, it's like, all right, you got Tatum and Brown, who are more athletic, can finish better at the rim. And even though they're so young, I'm sorry to cut you off, but they're better decision makers. Right. It's, and, it's crazy. And they, they're bought into the system. And that's what's key. And I think, you know, defensively speaking... Uh, the way that we D up LeBron is, hey, you stay home on his shooters and you make LeBron try to score 80, 90 points to beat you. <laughs> no, seriously, you do because at the end of the day, you know, you dare the other guys to create for themselves and they can't. These other Cavaliers cannot create for themselves. This isn't Cavaliers with Kyrie who could create for himself because then They're that... Unstoppable. that I wouldn't say unstoppable. That second consistent scoring punch. The the, the second shot creator is what mucks up the game plan. Um, I think with LeBron being the only one who could truly create, you know, you mess with his mind. You know what? If LeBron scores 60, 70 points and they beat you, so be it. If he's hitting those outside jumpers, those heat check threes, those turnaround fadeaways that he was in the first quarter, so be it. Right, you weather the storm, you stay with the game plan, and it's like in a boxing match: it's body blows, body yep. blows. And guess what? By the second half, late game, LeBron was gassed. He was, he was doing it all. He was yep. fatigued. He was fatigued, and you know it's very demoralizing too. And psychologically speaking, think about how demoralizing it is for LeBron. He's played his best game. So far in this series, and he's playing his best basketball right, right. now, and it's like basically all going to waste. And it looks you're like still losing by thirteen points. Yep, that's the part that's demoralizing, and that's the part that I think plants in the back of their heads, you know, whether they're going to doubt each other or not. Yeah, and that's what the one thing I was going to talk about next. These guys just seem like they don't trust each other at all out there. Every time a bad play happens, like for the Celtics, for example, they don't put their heads down or yell at each other. They just all right, move on to the next one. Like, they don't try to hit home runs. They just go for singles. Cleveland just gets down on themselves. They start yelling at each other, bickering at their teammates. I mean, it is just a dysfunctional well, dysfunctional roster this year. It's a front-running mentality. It's a really front-running mentality. When everything go, goes well, everyone's rah-rah, in your face, talking trash, you know, supporting each other. Everything's all good. When you get hit in the face, you get passive-aggressive. You know, you start getting on each other, you start doing dumb things, you lose your discipline. Now, I think that that's a reflection of leadership. Whether it's coach or the best player, you got to lead by example. I'm not knocking LeBron, but 
uh, you know, like what I'm saying is just that sometimes, you know, whether it's media created, the drama follows them wherever they go. And it's just too much. It's too much. Yeah, and I think also some of the supporting cast that was with LeBron for the championship run is probably like, what the hell happened? Like, Mm -hmm. we have a – it's not the same roster because it's obviously lacking Kyrie, but it's like we have a similar type of roster in the sense of, like, what players can do what. Obviously, like, again, without Kyrie. But, I mean, I just think it's like JR is just – especially JR. He looks extremely frustrated. He's shooting, like, 2 of 16 so far in this – in these – Conference finals. I mean, he's picking up flagrant fouls. More fa- more flagrant fouls yesterday than points. Right. Might I add? <laughs> the, well, you but, think about it. The the critique that we had earlier in the season about the Cavs, their three point shooters can't play defense, and their defenders can't shoot. <laughs> yeah. And that's a recipe for disaster because what do you? This isn't the old '90s NBA anymore. This is this is the modern NBA where coaches where analytics where teams are going to find the weak links in your defense and they're going to attack it do you see how like when the Cavs pull close what do we do we isolated Jalen Brown on Kyle Korver and he and ate him, him alive to work. Right. exactly and you know because of the discrepancy in athleticism and you know like offensive skill versus defensive ability that's a high percentage win for the Celtics, mm-hmm. and and going forward, I you know our guys just need to be able to hit open shots, and be disciplined on the road. Um, if we I, can just steal one of these games on the road, that's I all we want. Th- I think we have to withstand hot shooting from the Cavs because the Cavs still haven't had a game where their three point shootings are unconscious. Mm-hmm. And we're and we're gonna see that. We we're, are gonna see that. I expect to see that. Yep. I mean, it'd be great if we don't see that. <laughs> But they're going home. They have a chance to even up the momentum. They got four days off right now to get a, a new game plan in. Right. But here's the thing is that if you notice with everything with LeBron t- LeBron-centric teams, with the exception of Spolstra, because I felt like Spolstra and Riley actually were the ones in control yeah, in that Miami put, franchise. Yep. You said it before the show. They put in a system for LeBron. Right. And D-Wade. They, they, they move off the ball. They move the ball, and they have role players. They have playmakers. Mm-hmm. This, this Cavs roster not only lacks a second play, second guy who could be a primary playmaker, but everyone has to fit LeBron's game now. Yeah, they lack a real system. Exactly. Ty Lue doesn't have a real system put in for these guys. He just says, let LeBron go to work. You guys just do, do what you're right. supposed to do. And in a regular season, that's good and dandy because... Teams aren't teams aren't fully focused on just beating you. Yeah, it's one game at a time. It's not like you have to go through a best of seven right. and consistently play the same guys over and over again. But the problem is, you see, what I love about Stevens is that over the regular season, over the course of different games against different opponents, he's kind of quietly experimented with lineups, with strategies, and things like that so that he could get the data that he needs. Yeah, I mean, hello, starting Shemi Ojale, like, a tied series against Milwaukee. I mean, who saw that coming, right? Well, that's just the types of things that Brad ma- makes Brad Brad. It's it's just the wrinkles because at the end of the day, regular season you want to win ball games, but you have room for error. You have room to try. All right, let's try out this new wrinkle here. See if it's effective. And the playoffs in a pinch, pull it out. Yep, exactly. I can't argue with you there. All right, so uh, 
Yeah, game three in the series, as we mentioned, is on Saturday, which is May 19th. And uh, I just want to say something right now. I know this is going to be a pretty controversial uh, comment that I have here, but um, I'm just going to say it. I'm. It's not that I don't want... Okay. I will be a little bit scared if the Celtics go up 3-0. Now hear me out. LeBron James, to me, in these press conferences for this conference finals, he just seems... I, I know it's like the press conferences are right after like these demoralizing losses, but LeBron just seems pretty unmotivated. Like, eh, I don't really care. Like, he, he said, I'm not going to lose sleep over this. It's whatever. It doesn't seem like he's trying to win a championship for Cleveland anymore. I feel like LeBron's kind of morphing into this guy who is now, or at least for this season, focused on himself. I think LeBron right now, his main focus is how do I solidify myself as the GOAT? How do I pass MJ? And, I mean, going down 0-3, I feel like it would just be fuel to the fire for LeBron. Now, I'm not saying they're going to come back from down 0-3. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But... To me, it just seems like LeBron is more concerned with how can I improve my legacy and become an all-time the the all-time great rather than winning another championship for Cleveland. I just, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think you're overthinking it. I really do. I think it's just a speculation, but like I think I, I, think, I think it's cool. It. I think it's cool to bring this up. I think it's something that's not like no one on professional sports cast. I mean, maybe there's a reason. Prof- I'm not a professional <laughs> sportscaster, but. Um, I, mean, I just it's just a new opinion. I mean, I I feel like that's on like the hot take level of like the Felger and Mazes of the world. I just think that at the end of the day, you know, he knows he's a great player already, and you know, either way, his legacy is going to be solidified. It's going to be what it is. And I mean, at this stage, I don't care who you are, if you're one of the all-time greats, which LeBron is, he's trying to win, and. When you've given everything you had on the court and had an amazing performance like he did, and you still come out 13 points short, it takes time to process it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, too, is that as the kind of the fact of leader of that team, you know, he probably doesn't want to show any sign of weakness. Um, I think at the end of the day, like, you're the Celtics. You're trying to win every single game. You take whatever games you can win. Because you can't take anything for granted. Right, no, no, no. I, 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 let's not get it twisted. I'm not saying the Celtics should just go out there and try to lose game three for the sake of not being up 3-0. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying I, I'd i just be like, eh. Like, I, I wouldn't be like, okay, the series is completely over like it is for like every 3-0, basically. No, it's it's never. But see, the thing is, it's never a series is never over until you win it. No matter what. No matter who you play. I don't care if you play the Brooklyn Nets. Because that's how quickly things change, especially you know in basketball. If you have four straight games where your role players just shoot unconscious, it can happen. Like you, it's it a, happens. Yeah. You know, you think about the Red Sox in, in 04 against the Yankees. The Damon years, the right. Johnny Damon. Um, you think about you know when the Flyers came back on the Bruins years ago, mm-hmm. right? Yep, I remember. Anything that one too. can happen. It's not probable, just like how, you know, like in, in any basketball game, you go down double digits, it's not impossible to come back, but it's just making life harder for yourself. But eventually, if you play the math game, 
if you put your best foot forward with your preparation, the numbers will even out. And that's why I think what makes the, the Celtics team so dangerous is that they seem to understand that philosophy. You stay the course. You know, Horford, who was 3 of 10, once he saw the ball go in once or twice through free throws, he was on it. Yep, gets the and one after, the long two, Right, fights, finds his groove. And what people don't understand is, I always say this, whether I'm coaching or watching basketball, uncontested shots are plus 15% on average. Celtics are getting uncontested shots with guys who can hit. You realize NBA players, uncontested shots are like they make 50% of them. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, you know, it's about getting everybody engaged mentally, getting everybody ready, keeping them steady, not too high, not too low. You know, you come off to a hot start, that hot start might go away. So you got to find other ways to score. Yeah, exactly. All right, we'll we'll wrap up talk right now with these uh, with the Celtics series before we move on to the Rockets Warriors. But um, last thing you want to mention, uh, or last thing we should mention rather, is our predictions. What do you have for the series? Um, for the rest of the series. Yeah. I mean, that's I don't really like doing predictions, just because like for me, I think that the Cavs have like they have at least another one or two great LeBron performances in them, at least. They also have at least one ridiculously hot shooting night. We think. I think they do. And they also probably have a Tony Brothers kind of night. <laughs> and so it, I could see that if they have a hot shooting night, if they have a Tony Brothers night, it's going to be... For those fun. who don't understand the Tony Brothers night, he means poor officiating. <laughs> well, let, let's be honest. <laughs> Let's it be, happens all the time. Let's be honest, you know. Um, but if the Celtics could have their ridiculously hot shooting night on a night where the Cavs have their ridiculous hot shooting night. The Celtics are going to need it done. And if the Celtics win, that swings the series. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a make or miss league. And, you know, it depends on which nights coincide. That said, you know, if I had to make a prediction... I think it's Celtics in five. I am right on there with you. I think the Celtics are going to be able to steal, hopefully hopefully steal one of these games in Cleveland, and I think they'll be able to do it. But then again, I also think Cleveland's not going to lose both games at home. Right. I, I think that, you know, to your point earlier, you know, I think that everybody's motivated at this point. I think that the three days rest um, – in my opinion, will allow Brad to get the guys even more prepared. It'll allow him to anticipate what the next adjustments are for the Cavaliers. And I think that's where we'll have the advantage. Because at the end of the day, the Celtics have not had to make adjustments yet. The Cavs have. We wait for them to do the adjustments. And so we are in control of the series. we got to stay in control. And I think what Brad does such a great job of is that he's able to anticipate potential moves by the other team. You know, Cavs already adjusted in major ways. Tristan Thompson starting, right? Some more off-ball action, trying to speed the pace up, right? Mm-hmm. So what could, you know, what could their next adjustments be? Maybe trying to give Rodney Hood a better look? I thought, actually, they sat Kyle Korver way too long last night. I think he was hot. 
you ride that wave. You right. ride that wave. And so we'll see what happens because I think that at the end of the day, Marcus Smart, for as many great things as he did, cannot fall asleep on Corver again. He can't keep going under those screens, those dribble handoffs, right? It's got to be a switch or it's got to be fight over and stay locked on a hit without fouling. Right. So. I agree with that. Um, you know, something else I think we may see is like, you know Jordan Clarkson. Um, Jordan Clarkson did not play game two mm-hmm. for a second, mm-hmm. which is just crazy to me because Jordan Clarkson, is he was brought to the Cavs to score the basketball. Right. And that stretch during the, I, I think it was the third quarter, there was just zero offense coming from Cleveland's way. You figure, like, after a few five, six missed shots in a row, mm-hmm. you try to get something going offensively, find another guy on your bench who wants to put the ball in the basket. Right. Besides LeBron James, right? right? So, I mean, I don't know. I I agree with you. We could see some strange things happen for the next... I personally think that, you know, the Cavs need to get a lot quicker ball movement. Um, I think offensively, maybe they think about um, having some kind of, uh, you know, letting Kevin Love operate out of the high post and then moving LeBron off the ball with some kind of action and, and take advantage of Love's playmaking abilities to pass. Um, because, you know, we saw some good action by Cavs, the Cavs yesterday when they were engaging in off-ball action and LeBron was the playmaker, the passive initiator. But the thing is, you can't be having LeBron labor to create offense throughout the entire game. So what do you do? You've got to start setting some kind of off-ball action for LeBron to either get him or other shooters open. Um, and and that's how I really you know think it might work. And now once you get the off-ball action going, then maybe some high, pol- high post handoffs, right? Some high post backdoors. Make, make the Celtics have to defend LeBron off the ball. I think maybe you should be coaching the Cavs <laughs> because I don't think there's a chance in hell LeBron says, I'm going to play off ball. I'm not saying off ball all the time, but no, I, no, I know what you're saying. But like, I just think LeBron's gonna be like, I needed, I need the ball in my hands every possession. Well, he's gonna get touches every possession, but at the same time, it's where's he's, where's he getting the touches, right? Think about how much energy he exerted going to the rim and creating his shot in the first quarter. That's a lot of energy, right? You know, in a basketball game. Like going full speed up the court against top flight athletes and a well coached defense, and you have to create like that, you're gonna get gassed. Yeah. And so what I propose is that yeah, LeBron initiate, right? Initiate, throw a quick entry to K Love, and it's either give and go, make a rub cut, right, for a handoff, or maybe you go off the ball, screen for Corver coming off, and then read what the defense does. If they switch. LeBron, slip, and it's an alley-oop for a dunk. Hey, I think it could work, but you know what? Celts in five. Hey. Celts in five. <laughs> Celts. I'm, I'm with you, man, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that I think, you know, in this day and age, people's got to understand that elite players, it's great to have them. They'll carry you for stretches when no one else is hitting, but you can't. You've always, you can't ride them into the playoffs. Exactly. You've got to tire, make the Celtics play harder on defense individually mm-hmm. because all this iso ball you got to defend the ball once you stop the dribble penetration right you got the help you just force up a bad shot exactly all right well now that that our our spiel our Celtic spiel is over with 
now we can move on to the Western Conference Finals. Houston, Golden State. I just want to keep this short and simple for reasons besides that they're not the Celtics. But um, <laughs> um, Houston is just completely outmatched. I found that from Game 1. I, I felt like from watching Game 1, Houston was probably playing 90, 85, 90% of their capability. They played a very good game. They were kind of hanging around for the whole game, basically. It wasn't really a blowout until, like, the end. But, um, you know, on Golden State's end, however, I saw them playing maybe 70% of what they could. And that's terrifying. <laughs> and I don't think Golden State is going to be playing any more 70% basketball games uh, in these Western Conference Finals. I think they're going to step it up, and I think they're going to sweep the Houston Rockets. Well, I just think the problem is that uh, right now with Houston, James Harden is still a huge defensive liability. And I think that, you know, everybody else, like, okay, like, what do you do? You, You try to seek out a switch on Harden and you attack him, right? And it doesn't hurt that Golden State has Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and a bunch of guys who could get hot ridiculously quickly off the bench. So, you know, I think this is going to be a quick series, unfortunately. Um, I would love to see it go six or seven. Oh, I'd love that. The Rockets would just have to shoot literally lights out. They have to. Yep. They have to have games. They where have to have Eric Gordon step up. He has been yeah, a no show in these playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the deciding factor. They're role players. Mm-hmm. You know, Harden is going to get his. Chris Paul is going to get his. It's the Gerald Greens, the the Eric Gordons, the the Nene's. Mm-hmm. It's those guys. Can they step up? And again, I hope because Houston isoed a ton in Game One. I'm just a fan of off-ball motion, mm-hmm. so I think they need to incorporate more of that, so that they're not exhausting their guys on the defensive end. Yeah, and something else that like I feel like doesn't get brought up as much as it should is we all know Golden State is an offensive powerhouse, mm-hmm. but something that doesn't get brought up is how unbelievable they are defensively too. Mm-hmm. Clay Thompson is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant is having an arguably defensive player of the year season. Mm-hmm. And Draymond is Draymond, the reigning defensive player of the year. But what else can you say about Draymond? I think that Golden State's defense is going to dictate the series more than their offense. In the sense that Houston was getting theirs in game one and still lost by 15. If Golden State plays defense and holds into like eighty percent, it's over. I also think you know with Golden State they also have a switch off scheme. Mm-hmm. So you know if I'm if I'm Houston, you know maybe try to try to get Curry having to defend in the post and beat him up a little bit. You know, um, but you have to find a way to make Golden State. They have too many scorers to be able. To rest on a defensive end. Yep. How do you attack scores? You make them play defense. Yep. I mean, it's just they're they're just too overpowered. <laughs> they're just too overpowered. So, our finals are set. Celtics Warriors. <laughs> I mean. Celtics in seven. <laughs> I don't want to make any predictions yet, but I like your thinking. <laughs> All right. Before we transition to talk about the lottery, so we're finally done with the playoffs. <laughs> but uh, we are going to bring back our Twitter figures. Twitter fingers segment for this week and of course we have to feature my long distance buddy Isaiah Thomas for this week's edition and he had tweeted approximately 
three hours before we recorded this episode, uh, he tweeted, quote, I haven't been able to really work out and get better in over a year. Finally pain-free. Now, I wanted to feature this tweet because I I think you and I are going to have a little debate unless we agree on this. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that there's truth behind this tweet or do you think he's exaggerating a bit to just justify his forgettable season and raise his free agent stock? Because personally... I find it very hard to believe that Isaiah was in, and I'm going to air quote this, but you guys can't see this. I find it very hard to believe that he was in pain for four months while playing NBA basketball, physical against these huge, monstrous athletes. I would say it's more discomfort than anything, and Isaiah's just trying to lean on this as another factor to why he had such a bad season. But what do you think? I think he was in pain for four months. I mean, he didn't have surgery on a major hip injury. And his game relies on him using his hip, his core, to change speeds. As we saw, he couldn't elevate as well as he could. He can't change speeds or get downhill as well as he could. And, like, you know, because he avoided that surgery and he just tried to rest it, I think that the root of the problem medically wasn't fully fixed until he got surgery. I think he might have even worsened it, unfortunately. So I, I do believe him when he's in pain. I just feel bad for the guy because I think his stock is an all-time low. I do um, too. I, it's, it's it's the worst thing to see because I love him so much. Yeah, but you know <laughs> what? Like maybe if Danny and he could mend fences, maybe there's a, a mid-level or veteran minimum. Replace for him Shane to, Larkin? For him to rehab? Oh, no, I still want to keep Shane, but... You think we're going to be able to? I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a free agent episode at some point. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, hey, listen. Wick is a very rich man. All right. I think that he should open up his pockets. He's got listen. He's got more money than he knows what to do with for like three lifetimes. All right. All right. I think that he should open up his wallet and let us fans, let us Boston diehards have a a modern dynasty. Yeah, I mean that'd be awesome. I mean, I just feel I you gotta feel so bad for Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just he went from the best of the best, and then his sister passes away, his hip gets completely ruined. He's, his career is just going completely downhill. I, I feel horrible for the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just sad to see. That, that's all I got to say. I mean, I, I, I think pain is a stretch for four months of NBA basketball to be in pain. I, I, I could understand how it may be, like, bothering him a little bit and, like, limiting him on the court. But to call it pain, like... Let me tear your hip and see if you're in pain. Well, no. I, I, all right. <laughs> I'm not a professional. All right. All right. Moving on. <laughs> God. Think about it. I mean, just seriously think about it. Like, I get it. Maybe sometimes people exaggerate a little bit. But he had a very serious hip injury. I understand that. But if he's in pain, why come back? Because he's probably, I mean, like, knowing his personality, he's going to bet on himself. You know, it's his fiery, competitive personality. And it's good and bad. You, know, you take the good with to, the bad with it. Yeah, and unfortunately he gambled, and I think that it hurt him. All right, well, hopefully this surgery does the trick, and we'll see the old IT we know and love come next season wherever he plays. So now let's get into this last uh, bit of knowledge that we're going to spit before we wrap up the show, and we're going to talk about the draft lottery that took place last night right before the Celts game. So the balls finally bounce the Suns' way. They get the number one pick, which was followed by the Kings, then the Hawks, and then the Grizzlies. And 
again, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to cap it off at our top five with the Mavericks receiving the fifth pick. Now, things definitely could have gone better for the Mavs and Grizzlies, and I saw Dirk even tweeted, of course, like, <laughs> just their luck. But, um, you know, with the loaded rookie class that's going to be drafted in June, um, what do you think these top five picks are going to look like, assuming all five teams keep their picks? Um, I think, personally, that... And we'll go just down the line from um, one to five. Yeah, fit-wise, yep. I think that Aiton would be perfect for Phoenix, who has, uh, you know, they, they have Booker already. But I wouldn't rule out Doncic because I think that you could actually play Doncic as a point guard in the league. That would be very interesting. And That'd be crazy. You know, uh, and you think about, again, modern NBA, because I feel like Doncic has the ball handling and the playmaking skills to be a point guard, point forward, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. right? The LeBron, like a LeBron-esque yeah. player. And if you want to truly play positionless basketball, then you got your core of Doncic, Booker, Josh Jackson. And, yep. I mean, that's scary. So and your pick's Doncic? Oh, no. I think they'll still go 0-8. Okay. okay, all right. Because I don't think that Phoenix, I don't think their organization is far along enough where, like, I, I just don't think, and it's not disrespect, no disrespect to them. I just don't think that that would fit their philosophy. I just think that Doncic at point guard would be a very radical idea. I think that um, Sacramento would pick Doncic. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, And then I think for Atlanta, um, they'll probably pick Marvin Bagley. Um, And then for Memphis, I think um, they'll pick Michael Porter Jr. because he provides a lot of outside shooting. Um, And then I think for uh, for Dallas, they'll have uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And then for Orlando, uh, I'm thinking that they'll try to build – around Trey Young, hoping that he's the next Steph Curry. All right, so there's Mr. Chan's predictions. Well, some of ours are similar. In fact, four of ours are similar. <laughs> I also have Aiton going number one, simply because Phoenix is just lacking at the center spot. You know, they traded for Alfred Payton, and I do not think Alfred Payton is a point guard for the future. <laughs> but, I mean, they just traded for him, so I think they're maybe going to give him a little bit of opportunity to try and prove himself in a new situation with a new coach now, we forgot to mention they uh, they hired Luka Doncic's old coach mm-hmm. to coach them. So I mean, maybe they're they're planning on taking Doncic. I don't know. I I just don't see them passing up Aiden simply because they're so weak at the center spot. And um, yeah, like you were saying, expect a scary lineup next year. And something else that I believe is that we may see an off-season trade involving Phoenix with some sort of deal centering around T.J. Warren. Marquise Chris and their other first round pick which is pick uh, 16 I believe mm-hmm. from Miami I mean I think if Cleveland loses LeBron they gotta go full rebuild I could see Kevin Love maybe getting moved to Phoenix and they run a lineup of Alfred Payton, Devin Booker Josh Jackson, Kevin Love and DeAndre Aiden that's a pretty scary lineup uh, now uh, something else I, before you make your point um Something else I could also see is them going for an, a new franchise point guard. Some guy like uh, who I think maybe on the move there is Kemba Walker. Maybe throwing a little bit more than just Warren, Chris, and that first rounder. Maybe in the, like another first round pick or some other fillable uh, player. But um, yeah, I think Phoenix has uh, some decisions to make this offseason. Yeah. And this could be the time when Phoenix gets good uh, post Steve Nash era. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, like if you really want to go radical with Phoenix. What if they go Doncic, Booker, Josh Jackson, 
TJ Warren, Marquise Chris. Yeah. And or, that's tr- an, or or trade Chris and them and get Love and then run with Len at the yeah, center or something. And, and that's a switch everything. Five. Yeah, that's a that's a great team. And uh, that's a scary team. Yeah. That's what that is. Um, so my pick number two, like you, is also Doncic. Uh, you know, simply because he's. I I don't know if there were any uh, European prospects hyped back in your day, but uh, to me, he's the most hyped European prospect I've ever seen, and I truly think he can become a franchise player. And especially one that the Sacramento Kings have been searching for ever since Boogie's departure. They need that new guy who sells tickets, who's a superstar. And I think Doncic could be that guy. Yeah, I think he's I mean, do definitely... You, do you think he's the most hyped-up European star? Ever? Yeah. No. no. Who's more hyped up than him, Porzingis? Oh, trust me. When this is around, you're a few years old, but <laughs> back in 03, Darko? Darko was hyped up, right? There was this kid named uh, Marcic Lempe. Uh, who, who I think the Knicks drafted way back. Oh, there's also this guy Absolutely in the Nuggets that I, I need to remember. Oh, I'm not going to remember his name. Yeah, there have been a ton of Euro, uh, European kids who've been hyped up before. I mean, you know, when Rubio came into the draft, he was hyped up as, like, the Knicks coming. You know, but um, I think that Doncic, um, you know, I think he's very skilled. He's, he's very got all the tools. IQ. He's got a lot of tools. So we'll see how his game translates to the NBA. Um, I think that it's always a risk. You always run a risk of it. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I hope the kid could be, the, you know, because with Dirk kind of fading into the sunset in the next few years, we kind of, you know, you got Chris Dabbs, but we Yeah, need we need that European new European guys. superstar, yeah. right? I, I totally agree with that. Uh, so moving on to pick number three, I also have Marvin Bagley, um, just simply because he's the most, He's probably the most impressive stats college big out there. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally don't think his game's going to translate well to the NBA. And I think a few years down the line, this is hot takes right now. You can quote me on this. I think Marvin Bagley down the line may end up being seen, be, may end up, uh, being seen as a bust. I don't think so. I think he his your perception of him, I feel like, is because he's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't really – I mean, I just feel like he can't really shoot. He's in between a four and a five. I think he's I, a late bloomer, um, and I think that, you know, you get him the right coaching, the right development program because, he, you know, he, he's he got some skill to him. He needs to refine his shooting a lot. Um, he needs to be able to put some weight on and become stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he needs to work on his playmaking skills. But I think that, you know, I, I think he's got a – but does, high it, does Atlanta have the personnel to develop him? I mean, they just got their new that, their new coach, who we don't really know anything about. Yeah, well, I mean, he's worked with the Philly guys. Oh yeah, that's right. He think came about from Philly. think about Embiid, right? How he's developed, right? Minus the injuries, so we'll see. True. Pick four, also Michael Porter. Uh, just because he's a franchise changing scorer, I think he will be a franchise changing scorer, and uh, maybe he can. Give Conley and Gasol one last uh, playoff run if he remains healthy throughout his first few years in the league, but um, nothing more than that. Right, I think long that, term for Memphis. You know, for Memphis, the reason why I say Michael Porter is because I hope they've learned because they've never had like a franchise wing, a wing score. Well, the closest thing they had to it was Rudy Gay, but yeah, he's but not. He's a, not, <laughs> not going to lead you anywhere. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, with the outside shooting piece, that's going to help Conley and Marcus Gasol to kind of phase phase them out a little bit. 
So it'll be interesting to see. Yep. And now here's where my change, my different opinion comes into play for number five. I think that the Mavericks are going to be drafting Mo Bamba with that pick. And here's why. They are in desperate, desperate need of a big man. They have an aging Dirk. Maxi Kleber was their start. I, was he? He was their starting center this year. Maxi Kleber mm-hmm. or, or Salah Mejri. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Mo Bamba is going to be a franchise big. I've heard him interviewed before. I've seen videos of him training this offseason. He looks legit. I am sold on Mo Bamba. He's going to be the next Mavs franchise player. I think, you know, I'm not all the way sold. I think he's definitely got high ceiling. But I think at this point he's still a very raw project. Um, I think, you know. He's an eight-foot wingspan. He's an eight-foot wingspan. Eight feet. He's got great <laughs> athletic tools. Um, he's got to learn. He's got to be able to shoot the ball. Yeah, and that's the that's the biggest question mark. But no, like, there's been there's the been ball. videos leaked of him like making like nine NBA threes training. I mean, obviously right, they're that's, open. But that's, that's great, but you know when you how get is that going to translate? Yeah, exactly. But I, I, all I'm saying is it's a promising start. There are questions with Tatum's three point shot coming into his rookie year, and we saw that video uh, in training camp. I think when he hit like ten threes in a row from the corner in the wing or something. Right. So I mean, maybe this is the start of something else for Bamba. It could a be consistent jump shot. But I, I would just like to clarify that too that Jason Tatum always has like the touch. Yeah, I know. I know. I, know what I don't know if Bamba fully has the touch yet. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we got for this episode. Um, I'm sure we're definitely going to make a finals episode uh, to preview that and give our real predictions, and then we'll also talk about maybe the season awards as well as the draft. Um, yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Nick Carvel and Mr. Chan signing off.